that's a good thing, right? I mean, and it, yeah. I don't even, I think I got the measles shot when I was a kid, but I don't actually know. I remember some vague memory of going to some old rundown building out in the middle of nowhere and getting shots, and that's what I remember. And so I'm guessing that was probably what that was, although, you know, it was southeast Ohio, and I'm sure that the government's been running experiments on kids all along the way in southeast Ohio, and so um, I'm kidding. But um, so we don't have the measles, hopefully... Hopefully no one in the, in the church gets the measles. If you do get the measles, keep it to yourself. Permission to stay home and uh, leave us all alone with it. We don't need you to bring that here. We love you and all, but we don't love the measles. So um, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. I'm not going to be putting all of the scripture up on the screen for us this morning because it's a lot. So I'll be highlighting a few key components of it, but if you have your phones or if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open those up and follow along as we read through this section. But first, I want to kind of set the stage here. Over, over the last year or so, Becky and I, my wife Becky and I, we've been on a journey to become healthier people. You know, we've been, we've been trying to, to, to call it a lifestyle change because we want to get healthy for the long term because, you know, we've gone through all, not all, but a lot of the fad diets. Remember when we first got married, we did the Adkins diet, and, you know, that's a, a really great thing because it's obviously great for your body to be able to eat as many cheeseburgers without bread as you want. But we've been calling it a lifestyle change because, you know, you lose some weight and then you put it all back on, and yeah, that's the fun part, and that's what I've discovered, actually, is that it's a lot more fun to put weight on than it is to lose it. It's, it's, it's enjoyable to, to get to eat whatever you want and not care about the pounds. But still, we've been trying to, to create a new lifestyle, new lifestyle for ourselves where we're, we're eating healthier, we're living healthier, and we've been doing things like eating more salad, which was something I never did, never, never, ever have I enjoyed salad ever in my entire life? Have I ever enjoyed salad? Why? Like, why would you eat salad? I still, I still don't enjoy salad. I'm eating salad out of necessity because I understand that's what healthy people do, and I'm trying to be more like a healthy person. But still, why would you eat salad when you can eat pie? So much better. I don't particularly enjoy it, even after all these years. I've gotten used to it, but, but I don't enjoy it. And I've learned that if you put enough dressing on kale, really lather it on, you still can't hide the taste of kale. It's still, it's still not good stuff. We're trying to walk more, so we live out on this farm, and we've got all this place to walk. And so at the start of last year, we started walking more. And, you know, we've got these step counters on our phones, which is great. But I've learned that it's much easier to walk in the spring and the fall than it is in the summer and in the rain. And 10,000 steps is a lot. Does anyone, you know what I'm talking about, like you have on your phone the 10,000 steps thing, like you're supposed to walk 10,000 steps. But I mean, that's just not, I don't think that's reasonable. I think we should kind of create a new movement to establish a more reasonable goal. Like, can we start by hitting 3,000? Because, I mean, there's a big difference between 3,000 steps and 10,000 steps. 
And if I could hit 3,000, then maybe I would hit 4,000, and maybe we could make it some kind of game, like you make a game on your phone, and every time you get to 10,000 steps, they reward you with pie or something like that. So we've been eating healthy and walking more and trying to do some, some good things to uh, live longer, I guess, or at least to be able to enjoy the later years of our lives because, you know, the Bible says that God knows the day that we're going to die. It's just what the, what's the last part of our life going to look like, and we'd like to be able to walk around a little bit at least. But we're trying to be healthy, not clinically insane, so we haven't gone completely overboard and when you eat healthy, there's some things that you have to give up. You have to give up certain foods. You can't eat endless amounts of apple pie and pumpkin pie and cinnamon rolls and cookies. Cookies is, I mean, I've still eaten some cookies. You can tell I've been eating cookies. But, you know, cookies, there's just something, something supernatural about cookies, right? I mean, he loves us, and we know that he loves us because he gave somebody the idea for the chocolate chip cookie, which there is nothing better than the chocolate chip cookie. You may think there are better cookies, but there are not. But we have to eat, you know, certain foods and not eat certain foods. We can't eat things in abundance anymore like we used to because, let's be honest, if we could eat food in abundance, if we could eat as much as we wanted to, if anything, we would never stop eating bacon, right? I mean, bacon is great. How, how could you stop eating bacon if you could just eat as much as you want, which is essentially what we do in our country, right? I mean, we, we, we love something, and so we put it on everything. We love bacon, and so, you know, when was the last time you got a hamburger that didn't have bacon on it? And didn't you feel just a little bit like, like something wrong had happened to you when you had to pay for the bacon? It's like, it's not just, right? I mean, there is no justice in the world because I had to pay a dollar for my bacon. That's just, that's not right. And, and, we, and we wrap all of our food in bacon now. All right, I mean, we've got chicken that we wrap in bacon. We wrap steak in bacon, so, so we wrap chickens with pigs, and we wrap cows with pigs, and even kosher hot dogs wrapped in bacon, which is really ironic when you stop and think about it. We even add bacon to salads. I had a salad this week, and it had bacon in it, which, when you think about it, kind of defeats the purpose of salad. But who cares because I got to eat bacon? Right? I thought I'd get an amen at some point along the line with the whole bacon thing. But does anyone, anyone love bacon? I mean, do you guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone else is like, I love bacon, but I'm not willing to raise my hand and like I'm one of those people that likes bacon, so I'm not going to raise my hand. But we love bacon, right? I mean, Wendy's has the Baconator sandwich. Have you ever had the Baconator sandwich? Yeah, I, I haven't either. <laughs> you can get bacon in your breakfast burrito at Taco Bell. Jim even told me as we were talking this week that McDonald's is giving out free bacon this coming Tuesday. Seriously, this Tuesday, you can get free bacon on your sandwich, right? And, and nobody's going to admit to going to, to McDonald's because we're better than that. But if you want some free bacon, then you can go to McDonald's. But I don't know. I, mean, I think there are very few people on the planet that don't like bacon. And I know there's this whole this whole group of people that doesn't eat bacon because, you know, whatever. But we understand that they're just not fully enlightened yet. And... But you want to know something ironic? Um, Harper, our youngest, who's one of the ones homesick today, loves bacon. 
but she hates Ham. And she doesn't just hate Ham, she's actually legitimately scared of Ham. Like, if you bring Ham in front of her and give her a piece of Ham, she will actually run away and sometimes be crying, you know, literal, actual tears because of the ham. It sounds totally absurd, but, but you want to try it. Some potluck, bring some ham and go try and give it to Harper. She's probably... Yeah. Well, she's probably traumatized because I made her take a bite of ham at some point along the way. She used to like ham when she was younger, but now all of a sudden she doesn't like ham anymore. But did you know there's not even an official name for being afraid of ham? There's a name for being afraid of pigs, but she's not afraid of pigs. She likes bacon. She's just afraid of ham. There's a name for fear of light, photophobia, fear of darkness, scotophobia. There's a name for fear of fear, phobophobia. But there's no name for fear of ham. There's a name for fear of Satan, satanophobia. There's a name for fear of church, ecclesiophobia. But there's no name for fear of ham. And as far as I could tell, there's also no name for fear of Jesus. I don't know why Harper's afraid of ham, but I also don't really understand why anyone would be afraid of Jesus. But as we get into Luke chapter 8, verse 26, we're going to look at some people who are very affectionate towards ham and pigs who had a great fear of Jesus. Let's look at it. Chapter 8, verse 26 says, they. We're going to stop right there. Because we need to know, it's important that we know who the they are. The they are the disciples. They, Jesus and the disciples, remember we talked last week, they had, they had come across the lake, right? And that was where Jesus calmed the storm in the lake. Remember verse 24, it said, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And we talked about this idea of echoing the light, that when you have something, you echo it, and, and how when God gives us something, we should just echo it. We should obey immediately, and how all of creation, and as we're going to learn today, even the supernatural world, when Jesus gives a command, it just obeys, but for some reason, we struggle to just obey but here, they, the disciples, are in the boat, and the boat kind of comes to shore, and Jesus is the only one that stands out. So just for, just for this morning, if you will, imagine with me that you're in that boat. You're one of the disciples in that boat, and this is going to be your vantage point on how you see the whole story take place this morning. You, you've come through the storm, Jesus is in the boat, and the boat comes to shore, and you're standing in this boat, and Jesus steps out of the boat, and then all of this stuff happens while you're standing there watching, floating in the water while Jesus gets out. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, he had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tomb. So this has been going on for a long time that this guy has been dealing with being possessed by demons. A long time. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, 
So he's shouting, listen, he's shouting. So you're standing there in the boat, and there's some other people who are nearby. You're going to discover them in just a minute. But he's shouting, this demon-possessed man, he says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. It's interesting, Jesus had already commanded the impure spirit to come out, but he hadn't come out yet. Many times this impure spirit had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And I want to stop here and just give a quick reminder. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and this was one of the main stories that brought me to this to this conclusion about the two primary tactics that Satan uses are are ideas and isolation. We see here this demon-possessed man is possessed by demons, and, and the demons, he had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So Satan works through ideas and isolation. If he can get you to take the bait of a bad idea... And then he can get you alone so you obsess about it and swallow that bad idea. He wins. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Legion typically meant 6,000, 5 or 6,000 soldiers for how, how, it would, how it was used in, in battle terms. So he said, legion, for we are many. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now we're going to meet the other characters in the story. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus. So it's really, it's really interesting to me that the demons are begging Jesus, which is, which is crazy when you think about it, because here are the demons. Here is this man that has been con- controlled by demons to the point where, where he's actually unrestrainable. He had broken chains, right? This is, this is a guy who everyone in town was afraid of, and he's possessed by these demons. And when they encounter Jesus, the demons are begging Jesus for mercy, essentially. Don't throw us into the abyss. They begged Jesus repeatedly, don't throw us into the abyss. Don't throw us in. Please, 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 Jesus, please, please. Jesus, like the word literally means to come alongside and pull at someone's coat and beg like a little child, right? Please, Jesus, please, 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 Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. They begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake where he was drowned, where they were drowned. But it's interesting, here the demons have revealed Jesus' identity, and they have, they have even refe- revealed his authority that he, that he has over them, right? They, they said, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And then they spent the next several interactions begging Jesus to have mercy. The demons, right? You get that, right? The demons were begging Jesus to have mercy on them. 
verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this and the town and the countryside. So here are the other people in the story. Remember, you're standing over here in the boat, in the water, watching all that has taken place, right? You're, you're in the boat, and, and you saw the pigs come rushing down this hillside. 2,000 pigs is what Mark says, come rushing down the hillside into the water. And you have to imagine that if you're in the water, in the boat, that when 2,000 pigs come down into the water, they make a pretty big splash. And so you even feel the water moving in response to the pigs coming down the hillside. But here are the other characters. These are the people that were tending the pigs. They were the herdsmen, right? That they were caring for the pigs. And, and they're standing there observing all that's taking place. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to everyone in town, everyone in the countryside. And the people all went out to see what had happened. So you imagine... What happens, right? They came out to see Jesus. They, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. doesn't mention here you know, whether or not they saw the pigs floating in the water, but you have to imagine that they would have seen the pigs floating in the water, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it, those who had witnessed it, those who had observed it, testified to the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Verse 37. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got back in the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and, and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. I want to spend the rest of our time here just kind of focusing in on these last three verses, 37 through 39. And I want to look at the idea of, of fear. I've actually entitled my sermon this morning, Closing Time, because of the line from The Office, you know, where uh, Andy's the manager, the manager of the office, and he's trying to create a, a closing ritual for the office. And he starts the closing ritual every day by saying, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And then they try to get everyone in the office to sing Closing Time, and everyone gets annoyed by it, except for... Stanley, who's happy because he gets to go home. This closing time, they're telling Jesus, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You, you, you don't, I don't care where you go as long as you're not here anymore. And they wanted him to leave because they were afraid. They, they were afraid. They were afraid. All the people were overcome with fear. It's, it's, it's a picture of just being rattled to the core about what took place. Why were they afraid of Jesus? Why were they terrified? I mean, we sit here on this side of it from our perspective and look at it. If they had any idea who Jesus was, they wouldn't be asking him to leave. I mean, do you realize who he was, that this is Jesus, the son of the most high God? Well, they should realize that because that's what the demons had said, and they heard that and witnessed it. But, but why are you asking the Messiah to leave? Why are you afraid? 
Well, let's go back and just quickly look at what happened in the story and see if we can get some perspective. So verse 27 says that this man had been demon-possessed for a long time and that they witnessed what had happened. They heard the demons talk about Jesus, the Son of God. They saw the pigs go down the hill. This means that they saw what happened this whole time. They heard the demons begging Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. And they saw the demons obey Jesus and come out of the man and go into the pigs. In other words, they had just seen Jesus' power over the spiritual world. And I think this is a significant connection because just a few verses before we saw Jesus' power over the physical world, we saw Jesus say to the wind and waves, be calm, and they obeyed. But here now we're seeing Jesus having power, exerting power over the spiritual world. They saw, they witnessed with their own eyes, the pigs, 2,000 pigs, according to Mark, rushed down a steep bank and drowned themselves in the lake. And remember, you're standing right here in the boat. You're witnessing all of this. You, you might even experience the waves of the water rocking the boat. And now there are two things floating in the water, the boat and the bacon. Why were they afraid? Why were they afraid of Jesus? Some have posited that, well, this is their livelihood. This meant there'd be no bacon in, for years in that town. They'd be without bacon, which I would agree is a tragedy. But there's more to it than that. Jesus actually disrupted the entire economy of this whole area. 2,000 pigs was a huge chunk. And, and by sending the demons into the pigs and they rushed down into the water, he actually just totally flipped the economy upside down. It was a tragedy. I was trying to think of similar examples for us to be able to understand you know, the, the context of this. And, and, and there aren't many other than that I can speak of from trees, you know, because we live on a tree farm. And that's kind of our big thing here where we live in, in the forest. And that's the big, big economy that we, that we contribute to the world and ship our trees all over the world. You can ask me how I feel about that later. But, I mean, so that would be like, so imagine that, that you have, so 2,000 pigs, you know, that, that's probably you know, more than just one farmer. It's multiple farmers. And so where we live, there, there are farms where they have 100 acres, 160 acres, several hundred acres, even 1,000 acre farms. And, and it would almost be like, you know, all of the farmers up where we live losing their entire crop of trees, which they had been working on and, and growing and, and caring for for years all at once. It's like what happens with forest fires or in Mount St. Helens when Mount St. Helens erupted and, and all of those miles, square miles of trees were just destroyed. That's probably more like what they're experiencing It's a tragedy. Let's get back into the story here. What, what happened next? Well, they came back and found the formerly demon-possessed man sitting at Jesus' feet with his clothes on and in his right mind. So he finally had clothes on, and he was finally not insane because of the demons. And they were afraid. They were overcome with fear, and they asked Jesus to leave. 
It's closing time, Jesus. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And he leaves. Verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. He got back into the boat and left. But who was still in the boat? The disciples are still in the boat. As far as we know from the story, they never got off the boat. They're still in the boat witnessing this from the boat. And so they're watching all of this happen. And then Jesus, the one that everyone is afraid of and asking to leave, gets back in the boat. And how do they respond? It doesn't say. There's no, there's no explanation other than that we know in the next chapter, Luke is going to talk about Jesus sending out the disciples on their mission and sending them out with the power to do what Jesus has just done. And so, so it doesn't seem like they're phased at all. Why? Why aren't the disciples scared when everyone else in town is scared? Why didn't they run? And what about this demon-possessed man, the, 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 the demoniac, as he's referred to in, in commentaries, which is a fancy word of saying the demon-possessed man, and it's hard to pronounce, so it's fun to throw it in there in the sermon once in a while, demoniac. He wasn't afraid of Jesus, and he didn't want to be away from Jesus. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He, he obeyed. Why wasn't he afraid of Jesus? The disciples aren't afraid, and the man who had been demon-possessed wasn't afraid, but the whole town is afraid. And I think this could be the reason why. I think Jesus' power is scary until you've experienced his saving power. I think, I think the power that Jesus has, when you, when you see somebody, I, d I didn't say this last week, but imagine if you're out with me on a boat on the Columbia River when we've got a strong east wind like is supposed to happen here in a couple days, and we're out there fishing, and the boat is rocking in the wind, and the waves are crashing over the boat, and you're terrified, and I'm sleeping in the boat. I'm not saying that I'm Jesus, but just for illustration, illustrative purposes. I get up, and I say, peace, be still. And the wind stops and the waves die down. You kind of be like, who is this guy? But they didn't run. They weren't afraid. And, and the demoniac, he wasn't afraid. He actually wanted to get in the boat with the disciples and go with them as they left. Wherever they went, he wanted to go with them. So... So they weren't afraid. Well, they had experienced Jesus. I mean, the disciples had been in the presence of Jesus for a while. They, they knew him personally. They, they had experienced Jesus calling them to follow, and they followed. And, and they had witnessed and observed Jesus doing all of these things and raising the dead and, and healing the deaf and the blind and the lame. And, and they had seen him do these great miracles. And this man who had been possessed by thousands of demons had been set free from them. And so now he's experienced the saving power of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. And, but the people of the town, they just know his power. They just know his power and they see, oh, he has the power to cast out demons and he has the power to destroy our economy. 
So there's a difference between the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. There's a big difference between knowing someone and knowing what someone is capable of doing. Everyone knows Dwayne Johnson, right? The Rock? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, has anyone seen the movie San Andreas? Anyone watch that movie? Or are you scared of earthquakes you don't watch? Okay, I, I like that. I like scary movies, into the world kind of movies. I've talked about that before. And there's just something, something, you know, that does to me. It stirs me in the deepest parts of my soul to, to watch those things. And I know that says a lot about who I am as a person, and you can pray for me. But, but I love watching those kinds of end-of-the-world movies. And Dwayne Johnson, as horrible of an actor as he is, I love him in that movie. And, and, and he's just got this, you know, he's got this strength, right? I mean, he's wearing shirts and, and like, like, I mean, my shirt could be 10 times this size and there'd be nothing he could, like he couldn't get his arm in it without popping the seams, right? He's just, he's just built, right? He's just strong. And, you know, but if you don't know him, like personally, as a friend, and you experience him in that movie, like the scene at the beginning, right, where, there's, where the car is hanging over the cliff and, and, you know, he, and he comes down and he's trying to save it. And he's, you know, he's this big, scary guy. And, he, and what he's trying to do is save. But if you're watching from the outside and you're just observing and, and he's ripping doors off of the car and all this kind of crazy stuff, you experience him, you, you would probably see him doing this from an observation standpoint and think, um, that guy is terrifying. I'm going to run, right? I don't want to be anywhere near this guy whenever he gets mad because there's something chemically imbalanced about him and I got to go. But if you had been with him in the helicopter and you knew him from all of the rescue experience that you had had with him prior, which is what the story talks about, and you knew that the reason that he's ripping the doors off of the car was to save the girl that's inside the car, if you knew that that the, there was someone lost that he was trying to save and that he had to save her because if he didn't save her, the car, the car was going to come crashing down and she would die. If, if you knew that and you knew, and you knew him personally, when he turns and looks at you, what would you do? Well, at the very least, you would, you would keep watching and see what happens or maybe you would jump in and try to help him save somebody because when you know the person behind the power it changes your perception of the power right when you know the person behind the power it changes how you perceive the power and and so many people in our world around us have no idea of the person behind the power they've only ever witnessed or seen or heard about the power itself. They've only heard the stories from the Bible about how, how God has this great power, like through all the plagues and, and the flood and all, all the awful things that they see and how God was trying to deal with our rebellion. And they see all of the power, but they don't know the person behind the power. Do we know the person behind the power? Verse 38 says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. See, he, he experienced not only the power, but the mercy of the person behind the power setting him free 
from something that had possessed him for years. And his response was not only to go home, which is what Jesus said. He said, go home and tell your family, essentially, the people in your household, how much God has done for you. But the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. When you experience the person behind the power and it changes you forever, you got to tell somebody about it. Uh, you you got you to gotta, gotta talk about it, right? That's why it was one of the reasons we're talking about telling our story so much more here at the church. We got we to testify about it. We got to tell about the stories of how Jesus set me free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. This is who I was before Christ, but now because of what Christ done, this is who I am, and this is what my future looks like. I'm no longer destined for destruction and, and, and separation from God, but I'm destined towards an eternity where I am with God. And in his presence, I am going to be eternally his and he will be eternally mine. That's, that's who I was. That's what my life looked like before. But now this is what my life looks like and where I'm headed. Don't you want to know this guy? I shared with you for years how I, would, I was praying that you know, I, want to, I want to experience the resurrection power of Christ in my life. And, and that was something I was praying about, and I still do pray about it, if I'm being honest. But that was a shift that took place in me personally, where I realized I wanted the power, but I didn't know the person as well. I, I wanted to use Jesus for his power, but I didn't really want to know Jesus. I wanted, I wanted God to use me to, to show his power. And I thought, well, well, if God uses me to display his mighty power, then God would use me to bring people into the kingdom. And maybe that's true because we do see that happening. But, but what, what, what people really connect with, what people really resonate with, is not as much the power of Jesus as it is the presence of Jesus. It is the person of Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know Christ. I've got two main applications for us to think about here. First one is we need to experience God's grace, not just his power. We need to experience God's presence, not just his power. We need to experience the relationship and the person of Christ, not just the power of Christ. What does this look like practically? Well, I think one of the most primary ways that, this, that we exhibit this in our daily lives is that we want God to miraculously set us free from something. We want God to miraculously deal with something, to miraculously answer our prayers. If God, if you would just give me a million dollars, all my problems would go away. We want to see the power of God without walking in his presence on a daily basis. And what that's going to produce is not what God desires. We talked about last week what the work of Jesus Christ on the cross was, yes, for forgiveness, and he died so that we could be forgiven of our sins because our sins were what was keeping us 
from that relationship. But the point of the cross wasn't the forgiveness. The point of the cross was doing what was necessary to take care of the problem so that we could come into a relationship with Jesus. Do we know the person? Are we familiar with the presence of God? Or are we just using him for his power? See, relationships aren't just about one day a week. As grateful as I am that you come on Sundays and participate in what we're doing here, relationship is a daily thing. I mean, if we had relationships with spouses where we just communicated on one day a week, we wouldn't have much of a relationship. If you have children, if you just communicate with your kids once a week, you know what happens. They start to go off the rails and they start to do their own thing because that's how we're wired. We're wired for a relationship and it's in constant, ongoing relationship as we are dwelling in the presence of God that he actually changes us into the likeness of his son. It's an ongoing daily process of being in his presence. We need to experience the presence of Christ, not just his power. But as it comes to us looking outside our own lives, applying this principle, this truth, not only to how we receive it personally, but how it affects us as someone who is God's agent of reconciliation going out into the world. We need to understand there's a big difference between being a witness observing something, and being the recipient. There's a big difference between seeing something and receiving something. There's a big difference between seeing something happen in somebody else's life, right, and and receiving it. See, there are people all around us who don't know Jesus, and they need to experience his presence. They, They need to experience the presence of Christ dwelling in the heart of all of us who are his followers, who are Christ followers. They need to experience the presence of Christ, not just his power. They, the yes, we want them to see that we are being transformed, and this is our image and vision that we want to see as a church, that we are people who are being transformed so that we can transform, that, that people and places are transformed by the presence and power of Christ in me. We want to be transformation agents, but it's not just about the power and trying to change situations but it's actually about being filled with the presence of Christ on a daily basis. The greatest hope for the people that are in your life that don't know Christ is not that God would do some miraculous sign to save them, but that God put you there to be his presence with them. This is the hope for your lost friends, for your lost family. They need to experience his presence through us not just his power. This last week, I I shared as we've been doing our prayer focus, I'm just trying to be honest, um, vulnerable, transparent, talking about some of the things not only I struggle with, but that we are struggling with as a church. And one of the areas as a church where we've kind of slacked off a bit is in our outreach. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I'm not saying this to put anyone down. I, I take full responsibility for it. But it's easy to 
kind of come to church and, and want to experience the presence of Christ, the presence of Christ, to be in the presence of Christ as we're gathered together, this holy temple of living stones. It's, it's really a miraculous thing. It's, it's amazing. But if we never actually go beyond just simply receiving for ourselves and actually wanting to take then the presence of Christ to those who don't believe, we, we've really not understood. And I see this in this story. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. Where have we heard that word begged before? Begged to go with Jesus. Jesus, I want to go with Jesus, can I come with you? I, I, I mean, I, I know what you did for me. I know who I was. I know what I was struggling with before. I, I know all of the pain and suffering and all of those things. Jesus, can I come with you? Please, please Jesus, just let me get on the boat and come with you. Jesus, return to your home and tell how much God has done for you. when you've experienced the presence of power of Christ in your life, you don't only want to do the basic minimum requirements that Jesus gives you to do. Oh, Jesus saved me, so now, okay, well, he says to go and make disciples of all nations, so I guess I have to go tell somebody about Jesus, and I guess if I just tell one person, then I'm off the hook. I got I to gotta tell somebody... So they're talking about a church this last week. We've got we to tell somebody about it. Yes, I'll do it. When you experience the presence and power of Jesus Christ in your life, not only do you do what he says, you go above and beyond. Not only did this man go home, as far as we know, and tell how much God had done for you. But the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for them, right? I mean, so he goes home. Hey, hey, hey. First, you got to imagine what that was like, right? I mean, they knew who he was. They, they understood what had taken place. They had seen him in chains and breaking chains and possessed by demons. And he goes home and says, you're not going to believe what happened. And they're like, what are you doing here? Are you going to kill us? No, this man named Jesus, he came off of this boat, he stepped off the boat, and he drove all these pigs into the water, and he set me free from all the demons. You just got, you can't believe it. But he didn't just go to his family. He went all around the town. He's just like, you got it, but do you know what Jesus did? Do you have a, Jesus, you saw all the pigs floating, right? I mean, that was me. That was my stuff. That was my bag. Do you know what Jesus did? This is, hey, you got to know, you got to know what Jesus did. Hey, do you want to, Jesus, do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand? Jesus did this thing for me. Do you realize I, can, just, I, can't, I can't even get my words together because geez, Jesus, do you know Jesus? Have you heard of Jesus because this guy came across the boat and the winds and the waves? Remember, we might have even seen the winds and the waves. Jesus did this thing for me. I can't understand what has happened, but Jesus set me free. And this is as much me as it is all of us. 
Jesus saved us, right? Jesus has set us free. You can tell I haven't been walking 10,000 steps. Jesus has saved us all and set us all free. When was the last time I told someone about him? Jesus saved me. You know, I, yeah, I grew up in church. I was a pastor's kid, but I had my rebellious streak in high school, and Jesus forgave me. But who have I told? When was the last time I told someone? about Jesus. It's been a while, I'm going to be honest with you. I get the excuse of being a pastor, and I can say, well, I tell people about Jesus every Sunday. Who have I told? Who have you told? Who have we told about Jesus? So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Can you imagine how our town would change if we just did that? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of pain and strife and struggle and hurt in our town. There's a lot of division in our town. How would our town change? How let's just let's let's not even go Vancouver and all of Clark County. Let's just look at Hazeldale. How would how would Hazeldale change if if we just went all over Hazeldale and told people how much Jesus has done for us? Not not condemning and say you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. If you don't get Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. That's not what I'm saying. Just I'm going. I'm saying let's let's tell people about how much Jesus has done for me. How much would it change your family? How much would it change your neighborhood? How much would it change where you work if if we just started telling people, this is what Jesus did for me? And Revelation 12 would come true is that that we would be overcomers. We, We would overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and that we didn't love our lives, even to the point of death. And that's kind of where it gets down to it, isn't it? We believe in the blood of the Lamb, and we'll share our testimony here in a safe place. But it costs too much. It costs too much to... You want me to tell Who? You want me to tell this guy. You want me to tell this neighbor, this co-worker. But Jesus, did you hear what they said about you last week? I mean, did you hear how they were using your name? It wasn't good, Jesus. You want me to tell them what you did for me? Well, if he is dwelling in the hearts of those who believe if his presence is there with you if they're experiencing the presence of Christ and that's we got to we got to hit heavy on that we got to we got to we got to hit hard on the presence 
presence of Christ, presence of Christ, presence of Christ, being the presence of Christ everywhere we are, every, every place we are, to be the tangible presence of Christ, the manifest presence of Christ dwelling in us, to be that presence and not be afraid when that presence prompts us to say, this is what the power of Jesus did to me. It doesn't say that this man used the four spiritual laws. It doesn't say that he went out and bought a bunch of tracks. It doesn't say that he went to seminary. He just went and told people about what Jesus did. What has Jesus done for you, and who can you tell? Let's stand together this morning. As you're standing, as the band comes, just ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. And I'm going to pray a, a specific prayer for all of us, myself included. And as I pray this prayer, I, I ask you to let the Spirit work. The tendency and the temptation is going to be resist, to question, to be cynical, to be skeptical. But let the Spirit work. Let Him do His job of leading us where He wants us to go. As I pray this prayer, I ask that you begin to pray for the person that God brings to mind and to begin praying regularly for this person. That God would give each of us opportunities on a regular basis to be his presence and specific opportunities to share what the power of Christ has done in our lives and to give us the courage to share that in those moments. Heavenly Father, I ask in this moment by the power of the resurrected Christ living and dwelling in the hearts of all of us gathered get together here and as one body, as one building one temple that has been assembled for your purpose of being a living temple for your presence. As you are here, your presence is here with us this morning. Father, I ask by that same spirit, by that same presence that is here, bring to mind someone in our life Someone we know that doesn't know you. God, I just pray in this moment that you bring their name, bring up their face, bring up an image, bring up a recent interaction that we had with them, bring up an appointment that we have with them in the weeks ahead. Father, bring them to the forefront of our mind.
And right now as we think about them together, Father, first I pray a prayer for them. I pray that whatever they're walking through, whatever their situation in life is, that you begin to draw them to your son, Jesus Christ. That you open the eyes of their heart that have been blinded by the God of this age. That you go ahead of us and you prepare them to interact with us. And God, I just pray, any areas of blindness where the enemy, the prince of this world that we live in, has sought to blind them to your truth, that you would just start to open their eyes, that you'd open their hearts, soften their hearts, Prepare them. Prepare them to be the kind of soil that receives your word of truth. And Father, I pray for us. Father, help us to be the kind of followers of you that are begging to get in the boat. We just want to be where you are, but, but at the end of the day that that our desire to be in your presence is not overcome by our desire to obey. And at the end of the day, we are going to do what you tell us to do. And even if it's not what we want, if it's not getting in the boat with you and going where you want us to go, we will still obey when you tell us to go. Father, stir in our hearts uh, to the depths of our soul this morning. Stir in us a, a passion, a fervor, a, a weight that cannot be taken away by a Monday morning. But, Father, stir so deeply in us a, a, a passion to want to share what you have done with those who don't know you. A, a, a passion to be in your presence so much that people cannot help but experience the presence of Christ by being around us. And give us the courage, Father, I ask. Give us the courage to speak up when we have joy unspeakable and full of glory and we have something to testify about. Give us, give us the courage to say, you know what, I know it's not really popular and I know it's very untrendy to talk about Jesus, but this is what Jesus has done and he has changed my life. Father, give us courage when we have those appointments, those divine appointments that you are preparing in advance for us, that you are working ahead of us this week. As we have those appointments tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday morning and Friday at five when all we want to do is go home and that person stops by and you prompt us, Father, help us to be like this man who just couldn't help but talk about what you've done. And Father, we ask for you to bring them into your kingdom that they might experience not only the forgiveness of the cross, but the restoration of a relationship with their Father who created them for the purpose of knowing them. And that we would get to participate in that process. Use us, Father, as your instruments, as your tools, as your mouthpieces to bring people who are very far from you but near to us into your presence, into a relationship with you, that they might know, that they might actually know Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.